0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host.
1: With a career spanning over two decades, DJ Spoonie is a true legend of the music industry. An award-winning DJ, producer, and broadcaster. Spoonie was an instrumental figure in the UK garage scene, helping develop the sound alongside Mikey B and Timmy Magic as part of the Dream Team. The trio had hit shows on KISS and Radio 1 and also hosted one of the genre's most legendary nightclubs, Twice As Nice. Spoonie is also a very passionate sports fan, with a particular love for both football and golf. He now regularly talks sports on TV, adding presenting and punditry to his already long list of talents. This week was a real pleasure to sit down and talk about my biggest passions, football and music, and find out what it takes to revive a genre. Going to welcome uh, today's guest to the Absolutely podcast, Jonathan Joseph, aka DJ Spoonie. Thank you for dropping in. How are you?
2: That's one Jay. Thanks for having me, man.
1: How's your day, man? I know you're a very busy guy and I really appreciate you coming in. So, you know, what have you been up to today?
2: Um, I've I, I've done a recorded a tv show i was a guest on a tv show i had a f- bit of a photo shoot and now i'm here you know i like to keep busy i i, I sort of I'm one of those people that work hard play hard i like to rest when i'm resting and i work hard when i'm working hard uh you know the devil devil makes uh work for idle hands
1: <laughs> i think that's the, the key to it all for me like yeah sometimes i go hard but i, I manage it and Said to a few friends of mine, and they, and I come back to London. I'm always glad to get back home because I can feel the different, you know, yeah. the different level. I can relax and just managing it, man. You've got to do what works for you. You know, some people don't get the wrong balance and it's, it's overwhelming. So I appreciate it anyway. So for you, Spoons, um, you know, for people that know you as a DJ, um, music that's been your life. I mean,
2: how did you get into it? Speak to us about that. I mean, it's, it's been around, you know, growing up, we didn't we didn't have much, but I always remember music being played in the house. Mm. Um, what kind of music? Let's talk about uh, that. I mean, it was, it, I mean, it would have been right across the board. So my mum was from St. Kitts, so she very much loved her soca and calypso music. Well, I used but, to hear the soca, man. But she also... music. Yeah, she also loved um, John Holt, and of she, she course, Bob Marley, mm. and Dorothy Moore, Um Millie Jackson. Yeah. Um, so I grew up listening to a lot of soul music generally. Mm. Bob Marley and John Holt are reggae artists, of course. Um, and then as you get a little bit older, you start developing your own music tastes and interests. So the time that I grew up, you know, the first bands that I really fell in love with would have been Madness, Specials, I see, yeah. R.I.P. Terry Hall, yeah. Blondie. Wow. Um, the police, Sting mm-hmm. and Co. Um, you know, so that was like the pop music, but that was the coolest pop music that was around at the time that we were. Some people,
1: up. not, not frown, but like I, same people you just mentioned, like I used to like all the madness and this that and the other, and I, I brought my kids up on it, listening to it. They don't associate that with black people sometimes. So when you're listening to it, it's like, oh, well, you like Scar, and you're like this. But if you really understand the history of music, there's a reason why black people like Scar. But people don't associate people with, you know, madness or whatever it may be,
2: bad manners, all them thing there. Yeah, look here is the thing: if you're in, if you're into your music, you absolutely get the family tree. You actually get mm-hmm. that lineage. Um, and if you don't, then it can be explained. But like you just correctly said, you know, Scar and Two Tone and its relationship with reggae music. So when we were listening to it, it sounded like a UK version of what our parents or our elders might have listened to. Mm. But, you know, at, the, at that time as well, when you're watching Top of the Pops or you're listening to Radio 1 or Capital Radio, you we weren't going to be hearing a lot of Bob Marley. We weren't going to be hearing mm. Dennis Brown. We weren't going to be hearing John Holt. Mm. So you go out, what, what am I going to listen to here that I'm going to like? Mm. And it was... You know, madness and special. You know, you've, you you
1: discos and parties. That's what we had. Discos to Discos and
2: parties, uh, Blondie and Rapture. You know, that had that rap element to it. The specials, like I said, madness and uh, that had the reggae element to it. So yeah, that's what I grew up listening to. And then when I was about fifteen, a friend of mine um, called Steve Howard at our local youth club. I was watching him on this sort of contraption, which I now know to be a double deck turntables. Watching him playing one record and then going to another record without any gap in the middle. And he was fiddling with some buttons and then it was on the next record. Then he took the other record off and I was like, okay, like, I need to watch him do that again. Then he put the record on the other deck and then went from one deck to the other. And I said, wow, man, that's like magic. Like As a music attention. man, I want, to, I want to learn how to do that. Mm. Um, he, <laughs> he said, all right. He said, You've got a turntable. I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, okay, I'll come over on Tuesday. I never forget, it. never forget it. This was on a Friday at the youth club. He said he'll come over to my house on the following Tuesday. So on the Monday, I said to my mum, Ah, oh, you know, Steve's gonna, Steve's gonna come over, he's gonna show me how to do this DJing thing. But is it all right if we if we do it in the kitchen? Now, them times there, you can imagine like most black families. In, Everything the happens the 80s. in the eighties, like happens in the kitchen, <laughs> we had a pine, pine dining table with a pine benches, cork right. floor, right. right. That was that's what all the kitchens looked like. Yep. But my mum was like, okay, you're okay to do that, but you have to make sure you wash out the dishes before he comes. Um, but when my mum said wash the dishes, it wasn't actually just wash the dishes. It Tried was like, literally clean the kitchen yeah. from top to toe, pots, mm-hmm. pans, cooker got to be clean, yep. sides wiped down fridge got wiped out dishes had to be washed and before dried before you get away, to do what you want to you do before you get to do what you want to do and that mm-hmm. was the deal when you knew it anyway done my chores Steve came over showed me how to mix you know great teacher fell in love with it mm. and that was really the start of it for me Um, and then it just developed from there playing in the local youth clubs and doing parties and then doing youth clubs a little bit further afield so we were like right on the Hackney Hackney-Islington border. Mm. Then we went a little bit further into Islington. Uh, There's a couple of youth clubs, at Adventure Playgrounds, St Mary's, uh, and and also Martin Luther King, just off Liverpool Road. And that was really that was the that was the start of it for mm. me. Okay, I
1: mean you're you're a UK garage pioneer. Um, you know how was it breaking into the mainstream? Um,
2: it kind of happened. It haven't really when i say naturally and organically that for me it was always a case of trying to stay true to our music but trying to broadcast and dj to as big a audience as we possibly can so i, I wasn't ever going to say well i don't want to do- oh, put me in front of a load of people and i could stop playing garage it was always about championing the music um and it's like i said we were right at the Right at the front of a of a perfect storm of the music growing and our reputation growing and the music growing and our reputation growing and you know we went from pirate I say we to Magic and Mikey B mm. as the dream team we went from pirate to Kiss to Galaxy to Radio One um, and it happened really quickly I mean 1995 the summer of 1995 I was still working full time in a job center for the employment service I was a civil servant. And four and a half years later, we were on Radio One. That's how. That's how quickly it happened. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, in 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 football terms, that would be. you know, I don't know. That would be going from not even non-league. That would be going from park football to playing in that's the an Premier acceleration. League. Yeah, that's it's a, big, a real yeah. acceleration. So, but again, like I said, it just happened. It happened really quickly.
1: Was Trevor Nelson before you or? Same yeah. time. So did he, did, he, did he maybe lay some groundwork?
2: or 100%. He, he, this is the thing, that he would have been doing what he was doing for his career, but what he didn't realise was mm. that he was trampling down the grass, is how I is how term it. So he, quite ironically, lived the distance from my house to my primary school. He lived that similar distance, the other side of the primary school. Mm. So he effectively grew up in the same postcode. Mm. Um, and I didn't know him but I knew of him um, at, at that time he 100% would have been inspiring yeah. directly or indirectly not just me but you know I grew up on the same estate with MCGQ is one of the most prominent jungle and drum and bass MCs DJ Ron who's one of the founding fathers of jungle music itself um, DJ Hype who's another jungle don. he lived on our estate Are they all the older? Uh, GQ's a year younger than me okay. well he's about six months younger than me mm. Ron and Hype a little bit older mm. so you know I grew up on an estate where I wasn't even like the third best person who was involved in in music mm. so you know what I mean it was, a, it was a tough school but it meant that you had to keep your levels up you had to keep practicing you had to keep practicing just to stay the or four, four fifth best
1: mm. nah that's cool man I mean for those that like music and they're listening in they're getting an insight you know, getting an understanding of not only your journey, but maybe some of the history behind, mm. you know, getting, in, getting your foot in the door, so to speak. Yeah. Not easy.
2: No, and it's, you know, getting your foot in the door doesn't give you a, a divine right or any entitlement for success either. I mean, mm. that's just the first the first rung. You've still got to get in there and Prove arguably be as diligent, even more diligent than you were getting there. Mm. Um, and that's really the thing. It's Getting there is one thing, staying there is another. You've put on some really good, um, high profile,
1: some um, excellent evenings, but Garage Classical is, is something I wanna, wanted to ask you about. I've, I've not been to one, but I've, I've, I've not had the opportunity. I told you, I don't live in London anymore, but I need, and I know you've just done, just done one, um, another successful weekend. I mean, where'd the, where'd the concept come from? Garage Classical, you know, can you imagine that
2: when you first started to pitch that to somebody? Yeah, I remember um, when I did first take the idea to a couple of people and they're like, no, it won't work. It won't work. And I I knew it would work. Mm. Um, It wasn't something that I wanted to do for business. I wanted to do it because I felt it was the right thing to do. And this is what stifles a lot of of ideas. And I understand it because if you're doing it for business Mm. and if it's not making money, then it doesn't make sense. Mm. But my reasoning for doing it was that actually it needed to be done because it would sound great and then the business came secondary mm-hmm. so when I was told it wouldn't work I think it they were they felt it wouldn't work from a business angle of Um we, we knew it
1: would sound good but yeah I knew it sound unbelievable and but I let's knew... give
2: people the, the rundown because they might I'm assuming people understand okay. listening in, that it's live orchestra put put that you know, yeah put that. so it's it's basically your, the biggest and your favourite UK garage records played replayed reimagined by a full orchestra mm. um you know and we've performed at the, the Barbican the Royal Albert Hall Kew Gardens we did the Royal Festival Hall the other day um we've done Hammersmith as well in the Roundhouse in Camden so we've done some very iconic london music venues mm. um it's been a success it's not been a success because of me because it's it's teamwork i mean i've got you know got an orchestra of 30 people, I've got a brilliant sort of composer, arranger in Katie Chapburn who takes care of that side. Um, in, in many ways, to sort of coin a, uh, a football analogy, I feel at times a little bit like the, the goal-hanging number nine who the ball just comes across the six-yard mm-hmm. box in the 93rd minute and I just tap it into a net. It's not as simple as that, but I, I do get to take a lot of the... Uh, the praise and the glory but I'm telling you it doesn't happen without of course. an amazing team
1: are you conducting or are you just letting them do their thing no
2: I'm sort of I mean look I I, I will put together the tracks that that we're going to use and I will largely organise the, the the running list and I'll go through that with Katie because transitioning uh, from one song to another with an orchestra is very different to doing it on the decks yeah, where I could okay. just put anything together so you know, we, we do that together. And then I stand and I will host and I will mm. compare it. And I suppose I'm the name that's associated with the genre. So mm. for that reason, my name goes at the top. But like I said, it is very much a, a team effort. And it's just, it, yeah, it does. It surprised me because it's kind of going from strength to strength. And we're sort of four and a half, five years into it now. And it's showing no signs of, mm. of slowing in momentum. But it is a beautiful thing that at this sort of stage in my career you know over 25 years of being a full time professional DJ to still be hitting you know these kind of heights and these kind of levels which are inspiring me to, to keep going I'm going to come to one that's a promise because you know big people it's my, it's my era
1: I, I'd imagine I'm still able to go in there and, and not look out of look out of place no way It's going to be people are there. yeah it's big people it's, it's big people What about the younger generation did i understand it or is it just missed them did, uh, have you got young people approaching and turning yeah
2: up? i i mean my my, my girlfriend and, and and our stepchildren or our my stepchildren not hers stepchildren they came you know they absolutely they loved it mm. did um, they know the music before though not before of, really hearing the no? album they would have known some of the records mm. you know yeah, because there's Sweet. lots of remixes Yeah, in there and... Flowers and Sweet Like yeah. Chocolate. They might not know, yeah. you know, Back Up, Back Up by people Wookie. Are ki- people are killing the remixes though, aren't they? Yeah, but and, 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 and sometimes you hear hear young people singing a song, you're like, oh, how do you know that? Mm. And then it's like, oh yeah, because, you know, in the same way that when we were growing up, there were records that yeah, would have been course. covered. And I was like, why well, do you know that song? Well, yeah, because mm. it's, it's been done by Simply Red. You know, we mm. didn't know that it was done by the Valentine Brothers in the 70s or mm. something like that. you have collaborated with some incredible
1: people over the years but you know what's been the ones that kind of stand out for you your, your best collaborations who have you
2: worked with and thought that was great I really enjoyed it um, you know this this is going to sound like a little bit a little bit generic but I think any time you sort of fuse ideas experiences energies you get a you get a beautiful creation in, in the middle and they're all special and unique in, in their own way so you know we, we did a garage classical album and um the sugar babes sung flowers on that album um now what's beautiful about that is that all three of them were absolute garage lovers uh, you know and but when they were making their records back in the day they were one of the country's biggest pop acts yeah. so their record label, they, wouldn't, bought, have they, they yeah. wouldn't have, they wouldn't have let them make a garage record. So what's beautiful is that at, at that point in their career, after starting out over twenty years, they're able mm. to come back and make a record, do something they, that they, they really absolutely enjoy. love, and they did it because they love it, not mm. because it was money and agents getting fee. And money. it was mm. just out of out of pure love. And the, the same could be said of you know Emily Sandy. She's also on the album. Um, you know Craig David. Craig David didn't perform on the album, but he did the show at the Royal Albert Hall. And I mean, that was a brilliant experience because he's just, he's like one of my favourite mm. live performers. So to actually share a stage mm. with him in that way. Um, I've shared a stage with him before, but where I've been supporting him, it was beautiful to for him to be supporting me.
1: Um, it's been great that he's been able to come back because he, he had the period where he was living in the States, wasn't it? It was like he just disappeared for a period of time. and.
2: Yeah, he got he got he he got a rough deal from. You know, we're not going to go into it here, but he got a rough deal where he just wasn't appreciated enough. Where I think someone like him and his talent should have been celebrated and non-stop celebrated, it was derided and ridiculed. The bow selector. Yeah, you know that that would listen. Don't get me wrong. That was just a part of it mm. because. You know, if that's a comedy sketch, that's fine, that's mm. cool. But then radio stations stop playing his music mm. on the back of that. That's when it went a step too far. Because jokes aside, he's a character, and they've tried to make him into a character. But pound for pound, his music, his talent is as good as and better than ninety nine percent of the people that you're playing. So how can you how can you not be playing him? And and I think you know this is sometimes where the music industry. Music industry isn't fair. Um, the, the meritocracy it doesn't fall into line the way that it does. In the same way, you know, I'm a lover of football. I'm a lover of golf. If you put the ball in the hole l- in less shots than anyone else, you get the trophy. If you score more goals than everyone else, hmm. you're gonna be picked to play in the team. In the music industry, you might have the best voice, but if your face doesn't fit image. image, you then don't get. The props, you then don't get the shows, you mm. then don't get everything else that comes with that. Mm. So that's one of the most, you know, disappointing things about it. That said, that's been going on for mm. for decades in the in the music industry. But well, um, the
1: reason I mention it is because obviously I can relate with the David Badil situation, and yep. you know, David Badil as a guest, and we yep. went through it, and we we spoke about the microaggressions, and it's deep, you know, trying to explain to people, trying to unpack all the nuances around, you know, language and how people. You can be demeaned, you know. Straight away, people see you in a different way, and you have to explain. You shouldn't have to explain to people, but I can relate to what you know. Craig David was going through one hundred percent the public can. perception and the image because you think you're more than that. You're hugely successful. You've, you've put the work in. You've done the hard yards, and now people want to belittle you. People that don't know you. So it's it. You know, educating the industry, educating. I I do EDI work with anybody who listen. You know, it's a top-down approach for me. Work with different organisations. Can we get into the into the context and the language? And, and alleviate and take away all the excuses that people usually say, you know. There's corporations behind people who are doing things and making mistakes Agreed. who should be held accountable for certain behaviours. So it was a shame that he had to go for that period and he had to leave the country. But it was really good to see him come back. I remember him doing the New Year's thing a few years back yeah. as well. And people were, you know, more appreciative of, you know, he was a grounding member, a founder member of you know the garage scene. He put out some he's big, big,
2: he's, big tunes. For, for Craig, for, in my opinion, he's 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 bigger than any one genre. He's just a phenomenal artist, mm. and that needs to be celebrated. When you when you get brilliance like that, you have to protect it. It doesn't come along all the time. Mm. Now he was a record breaking artist, artist. Yeah. like come, like guys yeah. find if People you really all that stuff if you want crazy. someone else if you want someone else to to ridicule, find someone who doesn't have achieved. talent. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, not not him. Maybe I'm a little bit protective because I know him, but actually, no. Um, and, you know, I I I love a joke as well, yeah. right? But I also believe that there's an element of rapport and context that needs to come into stuff. That when it gets to the level where you're effectively running somebody out of their home, mm-hmm. then is it actually that Funny, like, are we now all victims of, are we all guilty of bullying or ridicule or call it whatever you like? And this
1: I'm is, no, you're right, bullying. This is what we try to impact. In my, you know, and and this might well, you know, clickbait again. People might, say, I don't mind talking about it all day, every day. People have to be accountable. People have to understand some of their actions. You know, some of the trauma that's attached to it. People that obviously jump on the back of yeah. a lot of this. Of a, lot of a lot of this behaviour, I think it's acceptable. So it's not okay. It's not acceptable. You know, blackface here and this, that, and the other. Far too many people were offended, and rightly so, by the fact that somebody feels that they can just do that as a joke and be allowed to get away with it. And you know, the person who's being um, demeaned is oversensitive, and you know, have you not got a sense of humour? Yes, we've got a sense of humour, but you want to be taken seriously. But for the problem your problem isn't.
2: The problem isn't. You know, the problem isn't mine, and I the responsibility shouldn't always be with me mm. or as black people if we put a final point on it it shouldn't always be on us mm. in the same way that it shouldn't always just be on women like yeah. if she wants to wear a miniskirt why should she, that mean that she's leaving herself open to to wolf whistles and yeah. inappropriate comments it, yeah. it no, it's for us to to change our behavior not expect mm. Them to change their behaviours, but here's the thing. I mean, and we could go off on yeah, we could on a tangent here that actually a lot of the a lot of the, the the wrongs tend to come from one demographic, right? And if you look, whether it be you know women or black people, there is one demographic in the population that have largely been at fault for. More of the problems, not exclusively, mm-hmm. but more of the problems than anyone else. But at least now we can have that conversation and say, look, mm-hmm. I understand you might have behaved like that because you didn't know better. You under- I understand you behaved like that because you didn't have people like Jason Lee or Michael Dubry or Leo McKenzie or Craig David or DJ Spoonie to sit and have these conversations with you. But now that information is available. I can almost excuse you being ignorant to the fact, but I can't excuse you for being ignorant. I could understand you not knowing and therefore you behaved the way that you did, mm. but I can't excuse it now that you don't know where to look for that information. And that's a very, I know it's... That's why I we do the nuanced. work, to, to alleviate those excuses. Yes. My, my
1: purpose in life now is to reach as many people as possible regularly Hold those conversations and just say, look, now you know, okay? I've explained it to you in a way that you can understand. It's offensive. There are things that you can't get away with. How you choose to deal with that information going forward is up to you. And if you continue to make these mistakes, you need to be accountable. People need to see you for you. Mm-hmm. And that way we might have some change and, and you know, deal with some of the situations that we're dealing with. A few years ago
2: now, I remember having a conversation with a very, very known well-known footballer who he he referred to someone as half-caste mm. now he did not do that trying to cause offence Yeah, I 100% know he was not trying to cause offence but we entered into a conversation that I don't know lasted 35-40 minutes and I explained to him exactly why that's that, good why that, that, that is offensive in depth conversation and, and, and one of and in his credit he was 100% mm. accessible 100% open to hearing the good. conversation. Good. it's a
1: good starting point.
2: My, my, my reasoning was that, or not his, okay, he's, not his defense, but his reasoning, part of his reasoning was that, I've all, you know, I've always said that and I've actually. Because no one's checked And him. I've always said it around other black people, yeah. right? And I said, and this is here, this is where we are, right? So I said, I, from this day on, I wouldn't want you to go and say that in front of another person, black person. In the person, wrong company. Or another person of colour and then go, oh yeah, but I was with Spoonie the other day and he didn't And he allowed it. it. Because we have to take responsibility. Otherwise, that person doesn't know and that's the difference between ignorance and
1: being ignorant. This right? is why we do the work spoons. i tell you why. Because I'm mixed race and in some of the sessions I deliver, I ask somebody or I point somebody out within the room and I say, If you saw me commit a crime, how would you depict me? Or how would you give that description to the police officer? And it's really interesting because some people squirm, they're unsure. Well, I'd say the obvious thing is you're bald, you've got a beard, um, big, big black guy. Okay. Then I might ask a black person who's in the room, how would you describe me? Everything the same, except they would say mixed race. Do you see the subtle difference? So... You see me as a black person, which I'm fine, 100%, because nine times out of 10, I've been racially abused for being black, never for being white,
2: mm-hmm.
1: never for being white. Even remember, I'm mixed but race.
2: Remember, you're non white. Exactly. That's what the, that's never what the abuse been racially is.
1: abused for being white. And when the half caste one comes out, I understand generationally going mm-hmm. back, people of our age mm-hmm. would have said that back in the day and also referred to black people as colored people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if we keep changing the terminology. If the person who's abused by it says, oh, I want to be referred to differently, we have to respect that. It, we can't say, well, back in my day, I was able to call you this, that and the other. Yeah. No, we've
2: moved on. But that's the ignorant Listen to answer. what's being said. So I've actually now gone, you know, tried to take it a step further. And someone with your background, rather than calling them mixed race, now of mixed heritage, because the truth is there's only one race. So if we're actually always looking f- for reasons to make us the same and similar where there are more reasons there are more examples of us being the same and similar then there is only one race we're of yeah. mixed heritage because here's the thing that we would never call we'd never call someone who has a Scottish dad and an English mum who were both white half-caste they are as mixed as you are but it's of mixed Heritage, because you, what you might classify as the Scottish heritage to a degree. Mm. You speak to some Scottish people, they punch you in the face for saying their oh. heritage is the same as English. But when we drill down, I know some. I had to explain to someone what half caste actually meant. Yes. and it was like,
1: let me let me drill it down. It means white, which is pure plus uh, another. Okay, so that's why it's deeply offensive to somebody who's half caste because you're saying, you know, you're basically half pure. I almost, okay? I, I mean, so I'll, that's drilling down into the word half caste, and some people use the word. Dual heritage, which is this, was banded years ago, and it's a word that I don't like using because dual heritage doesn't really it infers that it's two heritage, and you could be Asian, you know, West Indian, and white, but that's not dual heritage, is it? There's you got three different already. Yeah,
2: but if you're mixed heritage, right? So mix then mixed works. could be it could be eight. Yeah, so mixed as works, and generally a lot
1: of people are now. So terminology is important. Listening to what people want to be referred to, just listening and not having your own opinion and saying. Like the worst thing for any of us is being told how we should feel. Imagine
2: who, that. So when I alluded earlier to one demographic this is what I mean. Mm. It's all it's normally mm. as has been one person making all of those rules. Yeah. Because there's the thing. I, I I didn't tell anyone to call me colored. I didn't tell anyone to call you half caste. Mm. Who who came up with these who came up with these names and who came up with these yeah, terminologies yeah and you know once we can start challenging that mm. once we can start addressing that we can make it the world a little bit better for those who come after us and i think you know if we can leave the world in a slightly better place than than we found it yeah. then that's our real mission right
1: no 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 and i appreciate it. we spent quite a bit of time talking about it it was important to to talk about it in a little bit depth and give it a little bit more context as well um and yeah, we're never going to avoid you know any conversations that need to be had, but moving on i mean in in you can decide what order it is this is I'm going to say it in the order I think it is, okay music, football, golf, explain to me, I mean, are they your passions? I know music is, but you know what why why are you interested in golf and in particular football
0: football
2: i mean football I've loved. Forever, you know, cause and I know you myself. play. I played some charity games yeah. with you as well. Yeah, you yeah. picked up some injuries, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Handstring. I've seen how busy you are. Yeah. That's why. Right. <laughs> you um, know, good, good pace. Uh, yeah, you in, yeah. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, dribbler, right. dribbler, dribbler, dribbler. Um, yeah. Listen, I I've, I've fell in love as a, a boy in St. Maize Playground in, in Hackney in the seventies. That's always been with me. I actually started playing golf around the turn of the millennium, just because. DJing took off and I, th- I wasn't able to go training and yeah. be on match, you know, on a Wednesday, on, you know, we might have had training on a Thursday and a mm. match on a match on a Saturday. Well, on a Thursday night, I might have been in IB for it. I might have been in Manchester. What uh, position did you play? Well, I used to play right wing um, mm. at, the, at the time when it was like 4-4-2. I used to play wide right in the midfield. Mm. Then I spent quite a bit of time playing right back. This was pre-Trent remixing the whole position of the right back. But I was actually... Primary school, I was a forward, so I was more So of a, was you playing as a wing back or was you playing as a yeah, right back? Yeah, well, it, it depends really, because it it might have been more of a wing back if we played four three three, but I was like a defender that was very comfortable on the ball because mm. I I used to be a winger, so you know. It's funny it changed because when I was at primary school, we used to play four-three-three. Secondary really? school, we were four days. Yeah. In primary school. Yeah. So we used to have left wing, right wing. Centre forward. Hmm. Then you'd have, you know, three in midfield and, and four at the back. We had a good coach. Yeah, we we all played four three. Yeah, four three three growing up. But Yeah, I always really? used to play, used to play right wing. Yeah, number seven, Kenny Dalglish, <laughs> and all that. <laughs> oh, forget. You have to come out at some <laughs> stage. You're a Liverpool man. I mean, yeah. at the minute things ain't good, right? Liverpool. Yeah, we'll come back to that. I'm a Guna, not. man, so we can
1: talk. Oh, at the minute, I'm smiling. Here we up. go.
2: We got the red up. But... Anyone but Arsenal. I mean, really? brought up in Come North on, London. So it's our turn, surely. I can't have like, no. It's no that turns, our turn, man. No what's wrong with you? Man. No turns, not for what? you. Like, anyone but Arsenal. Yeah, and then that was the, um, <laughs> I started playing golf because I just wanted another another sport because mm. I couldn't play the football. Would you play off? What's your handicap? Handicap now is like nine or something like
1: okay. that. Okay. I don't play golf, but okay. I know that's decent. It's okay. And I know if you put the time in, it is what it is. I'm and I'm not, always intrigued when I hear people are playing golf because, you know, it's got to be for me. It would have to be good weather, good golf course, dedication, right? It takes a bit.
2: There's, there's, there's a lot about golf that I use as, you know, lessons in life, analogies for life, metaphors for life. Is
1: it therapeutic? Does it give you your time, your space?
2: Yeah, yeah. Listen, it 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 does, and it can do. Mm. Um, in an ideal world, it's it's a game that you have to you know. You have to be patient with. You have to understand. You know, yourself, you have to understand how, you know, the domino effect of your rest and you eat and your practice and your diet, how that affects your performance in any way it would with Mm. your normal life. And this why I said that it constantly throws up these life experiences within a game. I think it's fascinating for that, you know, how you control your mood. Are you able to let things go? Because if you hit a bad shot Mm. and you don't let it go, it affects the next shot and mm-hmm. affects the next shot and it keeps affecting the shots until See, you let go. You're your serious. See, the way
1: to... you're talking about it, you know more, you're serious. I know people that just pick up their clubs and they're going to play golf and I know they're not serious. You know, it's all about having a drink, probably walking around half cut. You can't be any good, can you? And I you're think, never going to improve if, I mean, that's, you, if that's you find, you about. Find,
2: You find any decent golfer and you're you're not talking about just being out with your mates and you mm. start getting them to discuss and talk about the psychology of golf. Yeah. You'll hear similar things there. I'm not yeah. reinventing the world. I'm obsessive.
1: You know I mean? I'm telling you, I play tennis and if I was playing golf, if I had to put my mind to it, I'd be out there all day, every day. Because so I don't understand people who have been playing golf for 10, 15 years who are
2: still not any good at it because you've got to put the time yeah, but in. What is, right? what, you know, but what is good? Again, what is the, what is the measure? And well, wow, Jimmy it, Bullard. I mean, incredible, like, right? Yeah, but again, he's, golfers. he's he's an unbelievable player. He's brilliant, Jimmy. But you know, again, he'll still want to be a little bit better. He'll still miss a putt. He'll still miss a fairway because he's got
1: that drive for
2: being a sports person and understanding what it takes. Yeah. But again, if you're a winner, if you have that winning mindset or that growth mindset, that I just want to shoot a little bit better than I did. Have yesterday. You played with Jimmy? Yeah. 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 What about the banter Yeah, he's brilliant. You know, he's just. I played with Jimmy at Peter but back in the day, so yeah, he's, I he's was his top exact. boy. I love, I love him to death. He's mm. he's he's top boy. He's great company. Mm. You know, he's very knowledgeable yeah. about the game. Um So it makes for a good four hours odd. You know, you're gonna have you're gonna have jokes and you're gonna learn a thing or two, which mm. is a great way to spend any afternoon, right?
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: So how did you turn the passion for sport uh, into a successful media career? Because, you know, you do a lot of media. And I know you were doing stuff, I don't know if it's BT, Sky, and you're all over the place.
2: Yeah, we quite in a funny way, I used to talk a lot about football on... On the pirate radio session, but when we joined Radio One and Timmy and Mikey were both Arsenal fans and me as a Liverpool fan. So they'd always So be is that a... why you don't like Arsenal? Because no, i didn't to like Arsenal successful. from even before then than a little I more than a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a I could hear them on the estate. Mm. But they played dead boring football then they what do you were, mean man they all were boring yeah. man come we'll on we still Jay. sing we we'll still sing the 1-0 to the yeah, Arsenal yeah there you go they were boring as anyway <laughs> that was um, so started talking about football and um, the controller of 5 Live at the time mm. said so, you know got in touch and said look you seem to have a real knowledge and passion for football we, mm. you know do you want to come over and do a couple of projects so I started um, I did a did a, a series a docuseries six part docuseries where I interviewed some young, up-and-coming players, six of them. The young, up-and-coming players that I introduced at the time were Michael Dubry, Emil Heskey, Jodie Morris, Rio Ferdinand, Jamie Redknapp and Kieran Dyer. Wow. All people that I knew, Mm. you know, I think... Most of them had full caps, I think only, And they all fulfilled their potential. Yeah. I think only mm. Doobs and Jody didn't get full England caps, but they yeah. played England under 21s. Yeah. You know, they were both elite. They were all elite yeah. players. So I think they fulfilled it. That's the yeah, thing. Absolutely. They, you know, absolutely. there's lots of
1: lots of young players who we think might go on, but they don't actually fulfil that. So. No, they
2: they they're, you know, they all they'll top. And then did that for them and then they offered me uh 606. So I hosted 606 for seven years. Mm. So that's where a lot of people but, oh, you know, this Spoony guy, they think that the DJ in DJ Spoonie was for, like, David Jones, or Spoonie mm. was my surname. They didn't realise I was an actual DJ because they had nothing to do with yeah. the music side of my yeah. business. But, You've crossed over. Yeah, but, I like lo- you know, I loved my football, and, you know, then that spilled over into the golf, And, yeah, but I've done lots of, you know, lots of football stuff. It's a real passion of mine. Well, I know this already. I've heard the passion when you're slating Arsenal, but we'll we'll let you get away with that. Maybe (laughs) it comes with you know. There's some trauma attached to Arsenal coming to Anfield in '89. Michael Thomas and all that. Yeah, you know who's a top Uh, boy, boy, mean, Of course he is. You know the funny thing about that is I, whenever I see that game, a clip of that game, I'm still looking at the linesman to put his flag up, still believing that maybe I remember watching that game at Winston Frederick's house. On the Mavelle estate, and never never get uh, distraught. Still can't believe it happened. We never lost two 0 at home. I know.
1: Well, I was I was of uh, listen uh, growing up on the estate where I was back in the day, glued to my TV watching that moment. Uh, never seen anything like it. You got to go to Anfield. You got to get a result and to win two nil. Got to score, gotta score it didn't in that dramatic way. It was. I've never seen anything like it, honestly, other than obviously the Man City did what they had to do on the last day with Aguero. And, yeah, but this but was at Anfield, it exactly, still into wasn't the same.
2: Where we were at the time, mm. where Arsenal were at the time, as brilliant and as thrilling as yeah. the Aguero against QPR was, mm. it was Man City. Yeah. And with all due respect, it was QPR. They should never have. And they imploded as well. You know, they QPR. should never have needed to do that. But for us at Anfield, come on, man. But anyway,
1: let's, can we move on? To yeah, yeah, we'll let it go, man. It's gone. Okay, talk to us about um, Quincy Jones and, and, you know, the book project and, you know,
2: concept and, you know, what fulfilment do you get from that? Yeah, Quincy, was, it was just an idea that um, that I took to the BBC to, to do a, a documentary, radio documentary on Quincy Jones, who for me is one of the greatest, if not the greatest producer of all time. And kind of going on to what I was saying about Craig David earlier, that. I think we need to celebrate greatness more. And I think it's a responsibility. We have a responsibility in our community to make sure that we celebrate our leading lights as well. Because if we don't, mm. who's going to? Exactly. And I think that, you know, I just wanted to tell everybody about the great work of Quincy Jones. And of course, everyone knows about Quincy Jones uh, from Off the Wall and from Thriller. But mm.
1: What did, about Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as well? Okay, did, people that know that nowadays. So, yeah. You know, don't uh, associate his name with that.
2: Would you associate him with the theme tune to Pink Panther? Wow. See, I didn't know that. Really? You know, so it's it's just things like this. Someone who was, you know, he wasn't classically trained, but he Mm. took time out to go and learn how to score and compose for an orchestra. Um, He's still producing music today. He's still mentoring Mm. today. He's six, seven decades into producing music you know he's you know frank sinatra who's again widely regarded as one of the finest artists owes and gives a, a lot of credit to quincy jones for changing his sound and changes you know changing his direction the, the man's an unbelievable mm-hmm. talent so for me to you know spend some time
0: i was going to ask if you program, met him have you
2: met him or? i have not met him yet. No? he's 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 one you must be getting a, an invite, surely, off the back of this work you're putting nah, in. I no, I listen, I would love to meet him, and he's, you know, he's he he's old now. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, time time catches up with all of us at some point. He's he's one of the, the few people living at the moment. That I would love to gotta get, get meet done, and man. shake his hand, done, man. and it's really funny because whilst I was doing this, doing the documentary and speaking to, you know, Craig David and speaking to Vula, yeah. and they're like, yeah, you know, I remember meeting him and you know, Craig tells the time when he was, he was at his show and he came over and bought Craig's album and gave it to all of his friends and I'm like, you're talking about Quincy oh, Jones. Right, hey? Some Craig... people have met some people that you oh, just love to meet, man. right? I mean, that that's, you know, that's one of them. I, I remember speaking to Beverly Knight before about working with Prince who's, you know, he's... I loved Prince. You know, Prince is like my... For know, some it was like, Prince or Michael Jackson and for Prince me is it like was my Prince. Goalie. Prince is the goat. He was different. Prince. I mean, Michael's a special talent but if you consider that Prince could dance, did everything. Prince, yeah, yeah, dance, could, Prince could actually dance better than Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's moonwalk is iconic because mm. it was the moonwalk and it's when it came out and it's remembered for that. Mm. But as an actual dancer,
1: mm.
2: outside of choreography, mm. Prince is better. Prince... Michael Jackson might have a better voice but Prince is a singer he's a songwriter he's a musician he's a producer he's written the Purple Rain album he's written hit records for people where he's written their biggest single you know for the Bangles people won't know it was him Manic Monday he wrote that that's Bangles biggest record Sinead O'Connor Nothing Compares to You her biggest record Prince wrote that Mm. Shaka Khan I Feel For You Prince wrote that her biggest record and he still took time out to make his own yeah. massive record. So, you know, I, I, when I talk about it, I, I don't like to sort of talk Michael Jackson down because yeah. he's... But
1: we have to talk Prince, Prince up because That's people always point. forget that. Yeah. That's my point.
2: Yeah, I, I'm the same. I've
1: always... People... Been, ah, who's, who's Prince? Like, my kids, they've got a very, very good wide range of music and you are influenced by your peers and parents, you know. Mm-hmm. Travelling with me in the car, they would have heard all sorts. No doubt. Going back from hip-hop to Gary's drum and bass... They would have heard Prince, heard Madness. You can imagine it so What is this? What are it's we good listening for them. to? Of course, of course. But it's not coming through the radio. It's my choice. So they're seeing it's it's, it's what Create I'm own listening to. Your radio station, exactly. So listen. I think we need to be exposed to uh, as many different genres and you know different artists as uh, as possible. So we could talk music all day. I mean, this is your <laughs> chosen. Prefer- have you been on like Mastermind or anything like that? I have, yeah. Have even a mastermind? Did you not know that?
2: No. So the way you said that, I thought you was messing with no, me. No, I'm not. How did you get on? I did all right. How long ago? Oh, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I my specialist subject was the life of Ray Charles.
1: Wow.
2: Is it uh, on YouTube? There is there is a clip on there.
1: Right. There is I'm a clip on that. there. I need to see that. In yeah. that
2: big black chair, yeah?
1: Yeah. Yeah. How was the pressure?
2: Uh... Yeah, listen. It it was it it was a program that I grew up watching, right? Mm, And if you think that music drops when we grew up, there's four channels. I remember. I remember Channel Four starting. I remember Channel Five starting. It was all snowing on Channel Five all the time back in the day, right? So when when you think back to having three channels, and there there was there was two real big quiz shows growing up, one being Bambagasco and a University Challenge. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, and and the other jumpers. One, there you go. And the other one was Mastermind. And whenever I watched either of them, I'd be like, the mission is to try and answer at least one question mm-hmm. per programme. Yeah. So then to to have the chance to appear wow. and then do my research. And like I said, it was the last time. How did that come about? Did someone just approach you and say, yeah, just you said, fancy coming do, do you just want to come and do a special edition of it? Would you like to do it? And I was like, right, it depends. I was thinking what's gonna be my specialist subject. Like I could do Liverpool, but then if I get anything wrong, that's just gonna to be too much shame. Yeah, you're so said, not right, you're a Pixar. real Liverpool fan. Yeah. If you get anything wrong. There you go. So I said, right, I pick, I pick music and pick life of Ray Charles. And yeah, that was Boom. that was that was fun, you know, watching, you know, watching Jamie Foxx play Ray Charles in the film which he went and won an Oscar for it, Which was no hardship, because I think Jamie yeah. Foxx, I love Jamie Foxx. What, what, what a but talent. Then, but then listening to all of Ray Charles's music, his relationship with Quincy Jones, you know, because he he was yeah. real instrumental in Quincy's career early on. People
1: don't realise how talented how talented he
2: is. I mean, and he was blind. And he wasn't born blind as well. Wow. He so what his age eyesight. was he when he went, when he, he, went he lost his eyesight but he was young, like three or four or something like that. But real hard, you know. He grew up yeah. in a time when, you know, racism yeah, in course. the South was real. It was no you know it was no joke people were firing guns to get yeah. you out of a venue and mm. but he overcame all of that and Stevie and as well still Stevie able Wonder to celebrate I mean, his music to be blind and to be in this you know not only respected but to be able to perform you know at this level for so many years Yeah, Tony's and he's another one um i've always respected uh, Stevie Wonder and his his music but during uh, during lockdown i i fell in love with the brilliance of Stevie Wonder Um, because, you know, some people took up walking and some people took up cycling. Mm. I took up a bit of cycling, actually. But I started streaming, doing live streams, and I I did a special on Stevie Wonder, which meant for the whole week I was just listening to Stevie Wonder music, going through albums and doing reference stuff. And Mm. I was like, wow, man, this guy is... You know, when you talk of greats, when we really make it a, a little bit of a duopoly between Prince and Michael Jackson, it should be a triumvirate and we should have Stevie Wonder in that conversation. He's as he's as good as... Yeah, no doubt. You know, I'm not saying yeah. he's better than and anyone's better yeah, than even though my favourite is Prince. Different age groups, But he's, in, all... that, he's in that conversation. You know? Yeah, no
1: doubt. I mean, you've got to have that library of knowledge which not everybody has, you know, in terms of music and and what we've listened to over the years. So we've spoken about Um, obviously music and bits and pieces and and earlier on we kind of touched on a little bit of discrimination in terms of discriminatory behaviours you know in the way people talk and context and we spent a little period I'm not going to spend too long on this but you know have you encountered uh, I would imagine you have but you know what have you encountered trying to get into the industry that you're in in the music industry in terms of discrimination and racism you know what
2: roadblocks see that this question this is it's, it's, it's one of these questions that some of the racism that I would have encountered most probably would have been covert. No one would have said that I'm not booking you in my club because you're black. Mm. I'm not giving you this radio show because you're black. So some of the stuff that may or may not have happened. I don't really know about. Mm. But I'm also not naive to think that I might not be bigger, whatever bigger is, if I wasn't. That said, I'm one of those that would be a a troublemaker from within. So I would always look to try and disrupt from, from the inside. So if the construct is one where we don't want black people or black men who were brought up where you were brought up being successful Mm. then I would try and disrupt that by not conforming Mm. but by you've got to find a way to work within it just trying to be brilliant because here's the thing if I can get myself on a TV or a radio station which is then going to in turn inspire loads more young people like I was Mm. then that that's that's my real goal. It's not about, oh, you, well, you didn't stop that to be me. Like, you've got to be, mm. you got to be smart. Again, one of those sort of analogies in football is that you come up against a defender that knows you're better than him, knows that you're going to be tough for the day, knows that the chances are you're going to score today. What that defender's going to try and do is get in your head. They're going to try and make late tackles. They're going to Pinch Mm. you off the ball They're going to pull your head They're going to do All of those things Got to to find a way To get you booked Mm. Or get you sent off And your captain's Going to come over And go Jay We need you on the park today Jay Don't let him get in your head Mm. Your ego then Will be going Yeah but the man Just disrespected me And the captain Will be going Mm. Get him back By scoring a goal Don't worry about it And when you score your goal You celebrate Mm. That's your win His win's to get you sent off So whose win Is going to win That's And I I kind of look at life in that way, saying I could kick and scream and sort of run around and start behaving like the world's all against me. Or I could turn around and go, all right, I know what you're thinking. and I know know what you're trying to do. So I'm just going to double back. I'm going to circumnavigate that problem. I'm going to overcome that hurdle. And next time you see me, I'm going to be in that exact same position that you don't want me to be in. That's my win. Mm. That's your defeat. That's how I've always addressed.
1: That's no, a good answer, and it kind of brings me on to the to the next question in terms of, you know, your positivity, and I can hear that in the way you speak. And listen, we all have our bad days. Sometimes my energy's low. I'm Not going to lie, and it's not it's not a good place to to you know try and hold me to certain conversations. But where does that energy come from? You always got a positive mindset. You're trying to spread the love. How do you maintain that?
2: I, you know, I, where where does it come from? I don't know. I can't sort of put my hand on it. What I do know though is that tomorrow, I'm always one of those that believes tomorrow can be better. I'm always going to try and make tomorrow better, not just for me, but for you, for people around me. Like I, I people can get on my nerves, but I love people. I love to see people getting on. I love to see people striving. Um, and yeah, we all need a day out. Sometimes I our energies are low. Mm. Try not to have two back-to-back days. And if you are going to have two back-to-back days, then try not to have a third day. And I'm always going to be going, just try and nip it in the bud. If it's a week, try not to make it two weeks. That's, that's, yeah. that's my mindset. I wouldn't beat myself up and go, oh, I've had a down day, Oh, that's it. Mm. I'll go, right, try and get back off. Try and get back on the wagon tomorrow mm. and and start, the next phase from then. And I don't know, listen, growing up, if I said we didn't have much, you know, my mum made incredible sacrifices um, for us just to be able to live and survive, not even made sacrifices so we could have big houses in the country and fast cars, just so that we could know where our next meal's coming from. Mm. So from that perspective how bad can my life be now? Like, I know that I remember those days. You were able I to put it into perspective. I, can, in I remember respect. having to, you know, go and ask my mum's friend for two pounds. So I could go and buy, you know, some okra or, mm. or aubergine or minced meat or plain rice. And that would be our dinner for me and my four brothers and my mum. I remember those days. So when I look at my life now, I say, I, I survived that. This is, yeah. like, I have, relatively speaking, I have I have no worries. And that helps me to stay positive, you know? No, you put it into context in that
1: respect. Last questions, um, which is a hard one because even I struggled. So I'm going to be asking you this question. Well, you'll probably find it easier than me, to be be fair. (laughs) No pressure. No, no, you will find it easier than me. Okay, what are your five tracks that you think belong on the perfect playlist? So I'm going to give you mine only because I just needed to pull five out. Individual tracks or albums? Just tracks. Not albums, see tough one, right? So, so for me, I've just gone. I just looked on my on my Spotify. It is what it is. I've gone candy because that always gets people moving. Uh, candy cameo so people know talking the hardest because I like a little bit of that. You know what I mean? Gigs. By gigs. There you go. I've gone Festa Skank obviously Festa oh. for Lethal Bizzle yeah. again. Let's keep it moving. D'Nayo love everything D'Nayo does. Party hard that goes out there. General Levy incredible. So pretty fast apart from the cameo but people that know me know that I like all that them them quick tempo quick tempo tunes but that's just five that i had to pull up and you could pull up so many
2: i mean i'm i'm a being a soul boy really but i would have to have a track that maybe represented most and all of the genres about me so i'd have to i'd have to pick a garage record so because he's my favourite artist, I must really pick a Craig David record. And even though it's not my favourite Gary's record, I think I have to have Craig on my playlist. So, I would go for, let me one's best note. Right, I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for What You're Going to Do by Craig David. Okay. Then, I will go for My ballad on the album will be Pink Cashmere by Prince. If you've never heard that record before, put it on, but put it on when you've got a moment, seven minutes, where you're not distracted. Like, don't be washing the dishes or walking the dog or something. Like, what you could just sit down and listen to the tune. Pink Cashmere by Prince. I need to dig that one out. I will pick. My reggae record, I will pick Redemption Song by Bob Marley because I think it's deep and spiritual. And I have Mm. like my connection with music means that I need to have something like that on there. That just, I'd pick a record that reminded me of my mum. I'm going to go for, like, even though her favorite record is a track called Misty Blue by Dorothy Moore, but I'm going to pick a tune by. Millie Jackson called Hurt So Good another Dan tempo tune but pure beautiful soul music mm. and then I'm gonna pick a Stevie Wonder I can't help it by Stevie very soulful that's listen you might ask you me said you said you would struggle
1: five. you found that easy
2: no I don't know huh? I think if you ask me next week I might pick a completely different five
1: no, that's good. I think that's deep. I think if people listening, you know, go and find those tracks. Um, there's someone there that I need to find, especially the Prince one. I mean, I like Raspberry Beret.
2: Yeah, I like most of the songs on on the Purple Rain album, to be fair. But what's that tune again? My Pink Cashmere. Pink Cashmere. So it's released on an album called the B sides, um, but it's just it's just a beautiful record, man. It's just I've I've caught myself listening to that one record for 35 minutes before. Wow, just on a loop. Yeah. Mm. You can imagine I listen to a lot of tracks. So for one record to, but like, it's just, it's just pure. Even for him, it's, it's pure. And it's one that's kind of flown un, a little bit under the radar with regards to his ballads. You know, Adore, people tend to know. Um, Most Beautiful Girl in the World is, is an unbelievable track as well, as yeah. his down-tempo ones, but this Pink cashmere is, wow. Jonathan, you've been a phenomenal guest. Jason, thank you. Really
1: appreciate you coming on the Absolutely podcast. Thank you. Good luck Hopefully in the edit. The edit will be fine. <laughs> I don't even think we have got to edit much. To be fair, I think we've been flowing really well. We could talk all day, especially music. I know that's that's your passion, and we, we can't really talk about Liverpool too much. But they'll come back, man. Don't worry, they'll be back. <laughs> we'll, end, we'll end on that though. No. But listen, I really appreciate Do it, that. man. Thank you. Thank for you having very me, much, Thank you.